Ted Strickland's safety director stands her ground. The Senate and House rules for casinos and Mayor Coleman bans city travel to Arizona. These topics and more are coming up next. From the Patel studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Laura Bischoff, State House reporter for the Dayton Daily News, Bill Cohen, State House correspondent for Ohio Public Radio, Joseph Moss, chairman of the Ohio Hispanic Coalition, and Gene Krebs, co director of Greater Ohio. The woman at the center of the governor's mansion controversy this week defiantly denied she canceled a planned sting at the mansion and she denied lying about it to investigators. I was truthful when I spoke with the inspector general. As a former police officer, I take an oath to tell the truth very seriously. I would certainly not allow a 30-year law enforcement career to suffer because of a dispute over what we strongly believe was an effort to deliver tobacco to some inmates. Other witnesses at the state Senate hearing said it was the administration who did call off the sting to save the governor embarrassment. As it turns out, the committee did not recommend Collins Taylor for the permanent position. Laura Bischoff, did Collins Taylor change any minds this week? No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, possibly Bill Seitz. He was the only Republican who voted in favor of confirming her. Um, We'll see what happens over the weekend. The Strickland administration is trying to get, uh, they have about thir they have the 12 Democrat votes and then probably sites, and I think they, they're searching for four more votes to see if they can get her confirmed through a Senate floor vote, I think on Tuesday or Wednesday of, of uh, the upcoming week. Four votes, that's a, that's a pretty high, high bar to clear. Yeah. Think they'll get it, Gene? I don't know. I just wish this whole thing would hurry up and get settled as quickly as possible. This is corrosive to the body politic. Um, you know, government right now, you know, government works because we all believe it works. And right now there's a strong sense out there from Bobby and Betty Buckeye. And we're seeing across America, you look at the recent primaries, there's a strong feeling that government's not working. This needs to be settled and settled quickly to restore trust back in people one way or the other. It needs to fish or cut bait on this whole thing. But I don't think that you want to, as a consequence of doing it quickly, come up with an outcome that might be unfair. This is the kind of situation that I think there is a lot of uh, he said, she said. I mean, how is anybody going to get in Collins Taylor mind and find out whether she was trying to protect the governor from political fallout or, in effect, trying to uh, protect people in, in this alleged sting? I want to ask you, Gene, as a Republican, mm -hmm. uh, longtime Republican, uh, aren't Republicans going to be not trying to get this thing over quickly? Aren't you going to be wanting to rehash this over and over again in TV ads saying Strickland's administration is out of control? Um, I think two things. One, remember that right now I'm working for a nonpartisan 501c3, so I'm <laughs> take, I take a very much a nonpartisan look at this stuff. But at the same time, what I'll tell you, it goes back to my original point is that, I mean, the, the governor needs to get this done quickly. This, this is, the governor needs to have a linear administration. By that I mean he needs to be able to be in charge of his own cabinet. The problem you're having now is that there's been recent allegations that this was, that, that the legal counsel was trying to set up Tom Charles. This needs to be dealt with and dealt with. All of this needs to be dealt with, come to a conclusion on all of this very quickly 
for the and I mean Republicans and Democrats alike. This goes to, and it's not about scoring cheap points on anybody. This goes to the heart of our democracy, getting what, getting the truth of the matter, getting to it quickly, and then moving on. So what is the end game on this? Does, does Strickland, do they, does Collins Taylor withdraw before the vote? Does she win the vote? Does she lose the vote? What's the end game on this? What do you I think? I think she needs to, to hang in there. And not only that, but I think we have a second issue, and that is the Inspector General. I think that enough doubt has been cast on the investigation methods and the reporting methods that perhaps the General Assembly may be interested in that. I was going to say, I think that the, you know, talking about whether, whether they're going to wrap this up quickly or not, I don't think they're going to. I think that the, there's already been a lot of political hay made out of it, and I think it's going to be, they're going to continue to attempt to, to you know, string it out over the summer. It's a difficult issue to, to package into and distill into a 30-second ad. But on Friday, the Republican Governors Association came out with an ad that's running um, ac across the state in which they reference um, the, the, the narrator or the, the characters on the ad say uh, something to the effect of uh, his aid. I heard that his aides lied to investigators. So they're already inserting this issue into ads, into political ads. So I, think, I think the way that ad reads, though, it shows how hard it is to really make a hard-hitting ad just on this particular alleged scandal, because mm -hmm. uh, there's just so much to explain in a 30-second ad. I think a much more powerful ad is from the early, uh, possible ad could be from the earlier Inspector General's report where we had accusations that the earlier public safety director uh, was allowing uh, illegal immigrants to get uh, driver's license. I think that's more of a hard-hitting ad in now, some areas of Ohio. If you were to back this Documented immigrants, and by the way, that, that, that actually fed into the, the Collins Taylor uh, problem uh, with the Hispanic community so that uh, maybe it's resulting into everything else. It's one thing led to another. So has the Strickland campaign been successful? Because if the original story ended where they were, they were going to have a contraband, there was a contraband bust at the governor's mansion. Had this sting gone forth, had they arrested the inmate and his wife after he dropped off the six-pack, whatever it was, drugs or cigarettes, and it had gone off, isn't that an easier campaign, negative campaign ad than, well, deal, they're dealing drugs at the, it, or cigarettes at the governor's mansion? It's certainly, it's become so much more complicated, yeah. it's much more, but I don't think that, that that was the intent of the Strickland administration of like, oh, let's, uh, it's, let's just, can let's cancel it and, mm -hmm. and then have all these cloud over yeah. why we canceled it and then they'll never be able to package it into a political ad. That's, that's, thinking, that's giving people way too much I credit. I know, we're thinking too much. But along those same lines, we had a couple of callers this week to, actually, Laura and Bill, you were on all sides with Ann Fisher, and mm -hmm. a couple of callers, I suspect were partisan, uh, leaned left a little bit, but they thought the media was making too big a deal out of this. This is not a big issue around the state. It's a big issue here in Columbus. But do people really care about this, or we are we hyping this? I think on the you know who cares, um, who cares o meter. It's pretty low outside mm -hmm. of the 270 area. I'd say it's pretty low too. One one observation I want to make is you know when Strickland uh, reappointed the Inspector General, I'm pretty sure he praised him mm -hmm. as a man of high integrity. Oh, but then when the Inspector General comes up with two reports that blast the Strickland administration, oh, now he's, he's to be questioned. I just, I just find that interesting. Yeah. I think that happens, though, with Inspector Generals, um, mm -hmm. because when a new governor comes in, usually the reports that they're, that they're coming out with have to do with the previous administration. So you mm -hmm. can say, hey, this guy's great. Right. You know, right. He's, right. Really, yeah. he's really getting to the bottom of all this you know, uh, fraud and corruption and the rest of it. But then mm -hmm. as the, as the uh, administration 
goes on, sure. more of the investigations are going to be about his administration. Well, and a lot of this has to do with the Department of Public Safety. And let's not forget that I believe his wife was also one of the um, uh, administrators or, or the candidate uh, for the job. Yeah. The, the, the superintendent's job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the defining on this is going to be not the allegations. It's going to be how this administration handles the allegations going forward. And that, i got to go back to very serious allegation made about a setup. And that's going to be something you have to deal with. Let's get to our next topic. Now that the ballot issues are behind us, Ohio lawmakers are working out the details of regulating Ohio's four planned casinos. The House and Senate have proposed some rules that are not in the Constitution. Those rules say the casinos can only serve alcohol during standard hours. There are no complimentary drinks for gamblers, no exemption from the state's smoking ban, and the slot machines have to pay out at least 85% of their revenues as winnings. Bill Cohen, any surprises here with these rules? I, I don't see any real surprises there. Some of that, uh, some of the stuff, the 33% tax rate, that was actually in yep. the amendment, and the other things really are, are no big surprises. There's a little bit of debate right now over this idea that they're supposed to spend $250 million on each casino, and how is that defined? And uh, the casino folks say it should be interpreted broadly to include all their expenses, but the legislators are saying, no, $250 million, you've got to exp spend at least that much on the building itself. So there's a little dispute over that, but otherwise it's not, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. They're not trying to write off the cost of the campaign to get it passed as part <laughs> of the development cost, are they? Uh, not, not that th I can not tell. Not that we know of. 24-hour <laughs> yeah. um, alcohol license, it was talked about, it was uh -huh. sort of floated out there, but it really wasn't a serious consideration at this point. They were just looking at it. I think they were just trying to use it as a negotiating tactic, and I don't think it worked. Now, the one thing you do have there that's kind of coming in by the side door is the, the racetracks. Now, mm -hmm. they're trying to get in again. They keep trying to get a wedge in there so they can get their slot machines at the racetracks, so they're telling legislators now, can you please amend the rules for the casinos to let us have our thousands of uh, slot machines at the racetracks? It doesn't look like they're going to get their way, though. I think a lot of the legislators are saying, hey, the voters are going to decide yeah. race, uh, racetrack slots in November. They learned from Governor Strickland's mistake a year ago by not putting it to the voters. Just going to let the voters take care of it and mm -hmm. see what happens in November. Yeah, the voters are going to be voting on the earlier plan, not this new one. But mm -hmm. I think in most people's minds, it will be a referendum on the general idea of slots at the tracks. I just wonder if they'll be able to advance the slots at the tracks in a way that can clearly be interpreted as additional jobs or more investment in the state. Mm -hmm. And I think other than for people spending money at the tracks, that might be a challenge. It may require somebody creative to come up with that. You could argue that it would s it's saving the jobs of the, the horse industry, the racehorse and, and industry. Let me tell you, and that has always been a concern. I have always backed the, the, the idea of the, of the slots at the track in order to save the thoroughbred and standardbred racing industries in Ohio. I think it needs a shot in the arm. And I'd like to have seen that, but of course we have mm -hmm. the other casinos instead. 85% payout on the slots, that's a pretty good number. I guess it's actually lower than the industry standard. Yeah. Yeah. What it means is every time you walk in, you take take a dollar out and tear off 15 cents of it and hand it over to them, basically. See, you're looking at the it's glass half empty there, Gene. It's a 15 cent, it's a 15% <laughs> tax. And you no don't even you get a free in. drink out of the deal. I know. Yeah. Not even, that's right. Yeah. No free drinks, it's part yeah. of it. The Delaware Casino, the dispatch reported this week that there's a there's a Native American tribe looking to possibly develop a casino mm -hmm. north up by Polaris. Most people are poo-pooing it. Is that going to go anywhere? 
They've tried before. Every, and every few years, this idea, Indian casinos comes mm -hmm. up, it gets big headlines, but mm -hmm. people kind of forget the idea that it can't happen until the federal government says there is a real Indian tribe that has real land holding right. rights in Ohio. And obviously, we all know the Native Americans were here, yes. but uh -huh. the, the problem there, their hurdle is to get the uh, federal court to say that they still kind of have land rights here. And so far, we have no recognized tribe. So until that happens, or a governor really takes the initiative to bring an Indian casino in, and this governor's not going to do it, and, uh, it's not going to happen. And the idea behind that was to do it quicker, do it sooner than the other casinos, and, and from what Bill is saying, I agree with him. I, th yeah. I think this is way, way down the road. Yeah, that could go also part of that development cost that the casino operators could <laughs> legal fees to fight the Native <laughs> American casino. Our next topic, Mayor Coleman put the city of Columbus into the controversy over Arizona's new immigration law. Coleman has barred any city-funded travel to Arizona to protest the law which allows police officers to ask for proof of citizenship or legal residence. Coleman calls the law un-American and says it will lead to racial profiling. The ban prompted protests from around central Ohio and around the country. Joe Moss, this is largely symbolic. There's only a handful of trips each year that the city of Columbus workers make to Arizona. Why, why bother them? You know, it's, a, it's important. I, I, to tell you the truth, I was, I was touched that the, that the mayor did this. But, you know, let's take a deep breath. I know I need to take a deep breath about this because I, I feel very, very close to the subject. The problem is that the Arizona bill, the, the SB 1070, Arizona's SB 1070, has become, in common parlance, a referendum on how you feel about illegal immigration. And let me tell you all something. Nobody wants illegal immigration, least of all the undocumented immigrants. But the real subject here, which actually was addressed in the first two or three days when the bill first was passed, when it first was signed by the governor in Arizona, is that this is an area that has been preempted by federal action, and that has always been the, the argument that's been advanced, and uh, similar bills and similar initiatives have been defeated on that, on that topic. But in addition to that, and, and the part of it that I think that we react to, Hispanics, uh, Hispanic Americans react to, is that the, the bill directs the police to inquire as to the status of individuals that are likely to be undocumented. I don't know, am I one of those individuals? I know that I kind of blend into the background, but not the majority of my clients, many of whom are American citizens. But this is how many thousand miles away? Why is Mayor Coleman interjecting himself into this? Well, it's not, it's, you know, it may be thousands of miles away, but there's a bill pending in the legislature. Cor Courtney Combs wants it, and so does the, who's the Butler, Butler County Sheriff, Richard Jones? Richard Jones. Yes. He's backing it. So, you know, I think this is an issue that's going to pop up in states all across the country, and and you know, it's it's um, it's well, it's almost in our backyard now. That's fine, but so then take a stand against the Ohio proposals. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of then uh, criticizing Arizona or taking a stand or having a boycott. Now we've got a situation. Okay, what about conservatives who say, okay, we should boycott Vermont or Hawaii because they have gay marriage? I mean, it's fine if you want to take a stand, but then just beware your ideological opponents are going to do this can do the same thing sure. on other bills that you may like and so uh, you just you just have some fights over things that really aren't even going on in your own state uh, and you're taking stands on what other states are doing one of the ironic things in this whole debate is that and this data is now two or three years old but detroit and cleveland had the lowest percent of non-native borns in their cities in other words and if you look at so older industrial communities do not tend to attract vast numbers of illegal immigrants or even legal immigrants. There's just not the opportunities generated there. And I was talking to a city manager of one of our 
32 older industrial cities here in Ohio. And I asked him, it was much about the same time, I asked him, so how is this playing out? And he goes, we've now lost essentially all of our undocumented workers. And I go, your, your sheriff, your law enforcement, federal action? He goes, no, jobs all dried up, went away. So that has always been the history, isn't it? it? So of immigrants, uh, documented yeah. or undocumented. Yeah. yeah. So in Ohio, what I find interesting on this is that it's compared to other states. It you know, and I got to tell you, the other thing is, and this this data goes back now, like four years ago, I had intern do it. Almost all of the cases of a raid by the feds on a illegal immigrant workplace were almost invariably a sprawl construction site. Okay, building a big box store, you know, with concrete blocks. Now, I've laid up concrete block. Okay, all you need to know how to do is a plumb line and a level. You can lay up concrete block. So, but as all of that's disappeared, so as the sprawl buildings disappeared, so in other words, well, the economy is yeah. tanked, and the construction industry in general has gone down. Especially big box stores. And you know how we, yeah. the housing developments, and yeah. roofing, and things like yeah. that have all. Up. But to go back to the issue, and, and as Bill was mentioning, on mm -hmm. the boycott itself, is mm -hmm. that that is a topic that is going, that is just running rampant through through the nation. Everybody mm -hmm. is, not everybody, many people are reacting in the only way that they can if you don't live in the state of Arizona, and that is with your pocketbook. Do you expect, speaking of pocketbook, there's many of the posts on blogs and to the newspaper and websites and things like that, talk shows, mm -hmm. economic backlash against Columbus. They're not going to stop it. No Wendy's on their way through on no, no. I-70. That won't happen. You, you got to remember, s some people out there, uh, because of Venezuela's strongman, Cesar Ch uh, Hugo Chavez, being somewhat outspoken at times, they've called for a boycott of Sitco, because that is the Venezuelan's oil company arm in America. I don't think it's had any real impact, and yet I've heard that being called for for some time. I don't remember that. Yeah. So yeah. they tend to fade off after time. Well, what happens if Ohio State gets invited to the Fiesta Bowl for the 18th time in 20 years or something like that? I will be the first one in the line <laughs> lobbying. <laughs> I guess I'm going, absolutely. We shall see. All right, our next topic. We ask teachers and principals to do a lot more than educate children. In many ways, they have become social service providers. Now, some state lawmakers want teachers to monitor and punish students who bully classmates by text messages, email, or web postings. Supporters say cyberbullying keeps victims from learning. The catch is the law calls on educators to stop cyberbullying even when the students are not at school. Gene Krebs, this is a serious problem, no doubt. But should we ask a teacher to monitor this 24-7? Okay. And it goes to the issue of what's the proper role of education. And it, but the, there's a larger issue here that I think the General Assembly, General Assembly is classically reacting. When I was there, we did, um, I did the bill so that if you brought a gun to school, automatic suspension, no discussion, boom, you're out. Um, you know, so it's because as, you know, we're having difficulties dealing with some of these issues, the General Assembly tends to be more reactive. Having said that, they're doing, the they're doing what they're supposed to do is reacting. They need to also be proactive. This whole electronic new social media thing is changing how we completely live, our interactions between each other and our institutions. I mean, right now, I think I've gotten probably four tweets from people saying, I hate what you're saying up there on the, you know, <laughs> and I'm getting, you know, all this stuff, and I'm getting six that say I like it. I just got that message coming through. But my point is the fact we've not dealt, we need to have a systemic thorough look at how all of this stuff is interacting. Should it start with the teachers and principals? 
or should it be left to the parents and law enforcement and other venues in society? I, you know, I think a line does need to be drawn, and I, I don't know if it's here necessarily. And, and you know, I, I wonder, Gene, is, is, are legis do legislators get a lot of pressure from parents about things like this, or is this sort of a creative? I mean, I like uh, Nancy Garland and, mm -hmm. and Marion Harris, nice uh, legislators, very, yeah. uh, very thorough and, and mm -hmm. dedicated. Uh, I'm just kind of wondering, uh, is are the people clamoring yes. for this? Uh, there, there, there are certain situations where the cyberbullying, I mean, young people have committed suicide as a result of this. So if your child has been driven to that level of frustration, they've committed suicide, you want to get something in to get the thing fixed. But I go back to my original point. The cyberbullying is going, it's going, it's going to be this as the technology changes, and now they've come out with a version of Facebook for six to 12-year-olds, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm going, my God, how do we start? We need to start getting our hands on this stuff it, in large and determining, is it going to be, are we going to rely upon the schools? Are we going to turn to, you know, non-government organizations? Are we going to rely upon the parents? Are we going to do better education to the parents? Are we going to have the schools have educational programs for the parents? How do we handle this? I don't know, but we're going to have to do something. I think that there, the I agree with Joe. There has to be a line drawn, but I don't know where that's supposed to be. And the the the, the um, teachers and the schools are overburdened with a lot of stuff. This is an important issue, uh, and and I don't know if it's government's the right answer or, or not. You have to figure a lot of the bullying does start at school. I mean, kids mm -hmm. that's where they spend you know six hours of their day. That's where they interact. May have conflicts. You know. Jealousies might pit, may build during school, and then it spills over to the school bus, the bus mm -hmm. stop, and then now that at night and weekends. But Bill, it's like the childhood obesity, trying to fight childhood obesity in the school cafeteria when you're eating lunch, or eating other meals the rest of the day. Yeah, that was another bill that, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, the faxing bill, the, uh, the bullying bill, that was just introduced, yeah. it's not far along in the process, but there was another bill that was actually passed in the Senate, mm -hmm. uh, even though controlled by Republicans, and uh, they said that they're gonna mandate schools uh, have better nutritional standards, offer 30 minutes of mm -hmm. exercise a day, test mm -hmm. students' body mass index. Yeah. And uh, there were a couple of conservatives that rose and said, this is not the job of government to get yeah. involved in schools, to get involved in this stuff. It's the parents and the students. So, But they were outvoted by their own Republicans and most of the Democrats. I gotta get to our last topic because it's kind of a school-related topic, something you shouldn't do at school. His seat on the Ohio Supreme Court is not yet warm, and interim Chief Justice Eric Brown faces questions. The Dayton Daily News reports Brown lifted, almost word for word, nine paragraphs from a commencement speech given by Tom Moyer last year, and then Brown used them in a University of Dayton Law School commencement speech just last week. Laura Bischoff, Brown, you broke the story. Brown told you he doesn't consider it plagiarism. Right. He, he, um, he says that the speech was written predominantly by Joe Smith, who was the longtime assistant to Tom Moyer, and Eric Brown retained the staff at the Supreme Court. And so he's saying, you know, it was something that, that actually Moyer was scheduled to deliver that, that commencement address, and, it, you know, Brown stepped in and took over, and he said he had modified the speech. He, he didn't see any problem with it. It is a little bit of a squishy area in that if you have a staffer who writes a, writes a speech for somebody and then kind of recycles it, for the same same essential address and for the same position, but a different person, yeah. you know. Was he speaking as Chief Justice or was he speaking as Eric Brown? It basically comes well, down. Well, he was Chief Justice Eric Brown, yeah. so I don't. I, Can I don't you separate them? Right. Yeah. Because I, I think uh, Chief Justice Moyer uh, was the one that was supposed to yeah. 
to attend. So I guess the speech, you know, I actually checked into this because it's kind of an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. And there is a concept, not always recognized, of self-plagiarism, where you repeat what you're recycling. Gene and I, I think, agree that's a good yeah. thing. That's what no. Boy was doing. No. He, he had a OSU commencement speech. We pulled out ideas very yeah. quickly then. Yeah. An OSU <laughs> commencement speech was going to give part of it the same message to the Dayton well, grads. Yeah. He passed away suddenly. Brown steps in, and they give, he gives the same speech. speech, and he's, but wow. still, but this doesn't look good. This isn't self-recycling. This is yeah. something a little it's bit different. Well, Joe Smith is the one who recycled yeah. it. Yeah. The speech writer. The speech writer. Right. It'll, we'll hear more about this, I'm sure. It's not a good way for so. Eric Brown to come out of the no. gate, though. It, it's, it's, well, you know, a little embarrassing. Okay. Let's get to our final thoughts, our parting shots, our off-the-record segments. Gene Krebs, you're up first. Um, much to my surprise, um, what you're seeing now, the recent primaries, is a desire for change across both the right and the left. And I think that one of the ways it's going to start manifesting itself, much to my surprise, is in true systemic governmental reform across all levels, including local. Joe. A uh, point I didn't get to make is that regardless of how you feel about the illegal immigration issue, I think the time for comprehensive immigration reform is now. We passed off on a golden opportunity back in 2006 with the backing of President Bush. I think we can't pass it up now, notwithstanding the fact that things are so overheated in Washington. Bill. The new jobless rate for Ohio, 10.9%, virtually the same as the month before, 11%. We're going to have five more announcements before Election Day. Uh, Governor Strickland needs to get that rate down into the 9 or 8% range. If he can do it, he's got a great TV ad. If he can't and it stays at 11, near 11%, he's mm -hmm. going to have a tough time. Okay. And Laura? Um, high school graduations begin this weekend, and the, uh, there's about 120,000 kids graduate high school each year in, in Ohio. Um, even though the tuition freeze is off for next year, I still think that we'll see an increase in enrollment, an increase in tuition, and an increase in student debt at the college level. Okay. Mm. My final thought, as you may have noticed, we have a little different look this week, thanks to the hard work of a lot of people. So I extend my many thanks to Carol Del Grosso of Ozone Studios for her work on the graphics, Chris Clapp and Edie Dinger, who designed our set, and of course the WOSU studio production crew for all of their hard work, and Columbus on the Record producer Diana Bergaman, who is expecting, and this is good practice because this set development was a bit like giving birth. That is Columbus on the Record for this week. Check out our website, WOSU.org slash C-O-T-R, where you can continue the discussion. For our crew, for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week.